Hello and welcome back to Join the Conversation. I'm George Christopher Thomas, your radio talk show host and podcaster, and we are broadcasting and coming at you from the University of Alaska Fairbanks in College, Alaska. So now I invite you to sit back and enjoy this next interview on 91.5 FM KSUA, and thanks for listening. What is this show, Join the Conversation, you ask? Well, in this era of fake news and neo-yellow journalism, this podcast focuses on using academic insight and peer-reviewed understandings to get the real story out there. By basing the conversation in a college atmosphere, the focus is a combination of learning and accuracy that lays down the foundation for comprehending complex issues and concepts. Our host, which is me, invites you to join the conversation by listening as we bring in a cadre of guests from all over America and the world. This idea of peer-reviewed academia meeting media in real time is the newest concept in journalism. So on with the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, non-binary earthlings, all our listeners out there, thank you for joining us once again on KSUA 91.5 FM, our college radio station here at UAF at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And you're joining the conversation. We have with us a very special guest today. We have Representative Adam Wool. And uh, Representative Wool is uh, a Fairbanksian, I guess is the official name for uh, someone from Fairbanks since 1982, and a UAF graduate. So uh, Representative Wool, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invite and pleasure to be here. And so you actually went to UAF. You're a Nanook just like the rest of us, huh? I, I, I did go there and I am a Nanook. I, I uh, moved to Fairbanks in 82. I took a few classes. I'd already had a couple of years um, in my belt from Boston where I grew up and went to school there for a couple of years. Came to UAF, liked it, um, ended up entering a de degree program, finished. I, I took a year off before I actually graduated to um, start Hotlicks Ice Cream, which was uh, in a slightly different location than where it is now. It was in the building where the uh, college town pizza is. That, that was the original Hotlicks. And uh, I took a year, maybe, I, I want to say one year off. To, and then I came back and finally finished my degree at UAF in 1988. So uh, I had a great run there. And I, I even took classes after that. And the yeah, F's definitely a big part of my life in Fairbanks. And one of the reasons I, I live there now and stayed when I came up there originally. Certainly. And then uh, you are a small business owner. Or you were in the past. You owned Blue Loon was yep. uh, like a bar and uh, where you'd go like open mic night, play your ukulele, like what's going on over there? Um, well, I, I first had the Marlin. I owned the Marlin for some years. And for a while I, I, I bought the Blue Loon. I, I'd sort of been involved with the guy that originally built it when it was called the Crazy Loon. And um, he ended up not being able to run it. So I, I took that over in 96 or 97. And the Blue Loon was around for about 21 years, right before I sold it. And then it, it burned shortly after that. But the Blue Loon was an entertainment venue and a big place and did a lot of concerts and 
lecture series and, uh, you know, Dead Poets Society would have their event, annual event there, the UAF English department. Um, a lot of crazy parties and DJ nights and a lot of bands used to come to Fairbanks and big outdoor concerts where, of course, the, probably the biggest name I had out there was Snoop Dogg and Wilco and uh, um, Cowboy Junkies, Bo Diddley. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, Imagine Dragon. I think they actually played on the indoor stage. Um, we, had, we had a lot of fun, a lot of bands and a lot of movies. I did sort of a second run art house movie theater um, for a long time. So we did movies, we had food, uh, entertainment. It was, it was really a, a full palette and I miss it. And I, I think Fairbanks misses having it. So you're like one of the legislators that you'd want to go get a beer with, like over in the Senate, you'd want to hang out with Tom Peggett, <laughs> and then in the House side, Adam Wool, and, uh, you know, between Baggage and Wool, we're going to have a good time uh, halfway in between a Anchorage and Fair. We'll go, we'll go to Healy and then Denali. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. While we're in the vein of uh, you being one of the coolest in the house, uh, the community golf, how do you play golf in Alaska? Are the golf balls not the same color as snow? Um, how does that work? Or is it just during the summer? It's a short season. Yeah, it's a short season. So you were involved with community golf and hockey leagues. Uh, and between that and uh, running your own business, that kind of got your, uh, you cut your teeth in the realities of a budget. So right now the, the legislature is in the throes of uh, sorting out the budget. And with the war in Ukraine, the oil prices went up. So you guys like for a week, we're just sitting around trying to come up with like, I mean, you guys took a week off to, to daydream almost. Can you speak to that a little bit, sir? Yes. Um, I don't know about the week off to daydream part, but um, we, we, are in a cash positive situation, which has been um, unique since I've been in the legislature. I got elected in 2014, right about during the oil price crash. Sure, so, sure. Um, so we were living off savings for a long time and, and cutting budgets and, you know, letting a lot of people go. Things you do when, when in a business, for example, when, when times are tough. But uh, a state, a state government is not a business. Uh, we have other responsibilities besides profit. In fact, profit isn't our responsibility, but you know, keeping our citizens um, well cared for and 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 give them the opportunities, you know, economic opportunities for private business and so on and so forth. So, um, but we have a bunch of money now because oil is over hundred dollars a barrel, and that hasn't happened in a long time. So we are in surplus. Um, I think we have to fund some things that we didn't fund previously. And even in our last year's budget, we didn't fund a lot of things or the governor vetoed a lot of things. So we're playing a little catch up. Um, there's things like deferred maintenance at the university and elsewhere schools that, that's, you know, in the $2 billion range. So we have to start um, repairing stuff that we have been putting off for a long time. Um, Are those the capital projects that they speak of, like the second yeah. tier of spending yep. or the specific spending rather? Yes, yes. There's a lot of capital budget stuff, and and UAF uh, plays into a lot of this these projects. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also trying to you know increase the budget for education for K twelve. We did increase the budget for the university um, successfully, and uh, 
that was the first time it's gone up in a, in a while. Thanks. And um, you know, other other areas of the budget that that needed increasing. Um, unfortunately, corrections is one of them, and public safety. So we have crime, cops, and and prisoners, and uh, you know, things that that require money. Um, but also, we want to uh, increase higher ed, K twelve. Um, pre-K, a, a lot of other things that, that aren't, uh, you know, about crime and punishment, but about trying to, you know, grow our, our um, and improve our, our society here in Alaska. So, and, and there will be leftover and we want to put some in savings and, and you know, uh, not, not spend it all, you know, because times, this oil thing isn't going to be always this way and, and no one can really predict what it's going to be. And it, what goes up must come down. And, and I'm one of these people that's cautious and wants to plan for a future that maybe doesn't have high oil and, and maybe doesn't ever. I mean, our oil future, maybe in the next five or 10 years, but in 20 or 30 years, we don't know what, what the world economy is gonna look like, what, what people are gonna use to heat their homes or uh, propel their cars. We don't really know what's gonna happen. And oil is definitely a part of all that. So I, I say it's better to prepare for a, a leaner future and, and get the system set up for that. Now, Democrats uh, used to be, uh, you know, a dime a dozen in Alaska. In 1959, Alaska came in as a Democratic state. Hawaii uh, was the Republican one. And now it's switched with you being, you know, such a rare breed up there uh, in Alaska uh, and there not being that many Democrats. The positions of uh, green energy, renewable energy, is there a lot of push for that in the legislature or does the legislature seem to be dominated obviously by oil because that's a big thing? Yeah, I think oil is definitely a big thing. And even Democrats that are supportive of environmental legislation or, or reducing carbon at the same time are reluctant to take a big stand against oil or to say, no, we shouldn't be drilling, drilling, drilling. We need you know, more development because it's good for our economy. And so it's hard to, for a lot of people to, to go against it. There is some push for, for you know, green type uh, legislation. Even the governor put forth a bill to make Alaska 80% renewable by a certain timeline. Um, but of course there's pushback. <laughs> so the governor yeah, proposed it. To take, I mean, uh, like Sarah Hannon, who's down there in Juneau, her district, She's uh, happy to be against drilling in Anwar, but uh, I mean, is it, would the oil companies come after you uh, in a campaign if you got too vocal? Yeah, oil companies or, or various groups, various, you know, chamber of commerce groups and yeah. co-development yeah. groups, they'll say, you know, this person doesn't support Alaskan economy or something They shouldn't like be that. elected anymore. Right, you know, they, they try to get you unelected. It's, it's not, you know, an oil, you know, I, I took a vote a few years ago. There was an Anwar vote on the floor and I voted no. I was one of two or so that voted no. And, I, you know, it was a resolution. So it wasn't really a law. And, you know, resolutions are more like recommendations to Congress or, you know, sort of advisory Unbinding. votes. Not totally, totally. And um, I, I was one of two or three people that, that said no. And, you know, it, it it's not like I don't want to propel Alaskan economy. But, you know, I also don't want the earth to cook and all the sea ice to melt. And, you know, I, I took that vote and I, I had some pushback, but, you know, I got elected again. So I, I think there's people that are supportive of a, maybe a balanced approach or 
are looking at options that that are, you know, maybe look like they're not in our interest on the short term, but in the long term they are. So, and I'm not trying to kill the oil industry. Don't get me wrong, but I think we should look at other things. The profiles encourage votes of uh, Adam Wool. So, yeah, I have, so I have a couple of those at least. <laughs> and, and you're still you're still elected. Usually uh, that will end the uh, elected's career, and then you become a statesman. Uh, I guess is what <laughs> what they call it after. But you are you are the chairman, right, of the House of Commerce, Community, and Economic Development, right? Or that no. was a couple of years ago. Yeah, that I. Um... I've chaired labor and commerce, energy, um, transportation. No, not a, not the one you mentioned, but that that bio must be old. But I um, I'm on the finance committee, and so I'm just a finance member. But it's a small committee where a lot of big bills go through, and so there's eleven of us. Um, so Does the it's budget go through finance? Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> So then yeah. the, the, the story from like a journalistic perspective, if you look at last year's session, the governor called you guys into special session like three additional times. And was that just like a political play or was it needed? Does the legislature need to meet for more than 90 days? I think more than 90, sure. And we're constitutionally it's 120 and that's a good amount of time. I mean, there's a lot to do. We spend weeks on the budget alone. We have subcommittees, we bring the whole product back to the finance committee. We work on that for a while. We amend it, then it goes to the floor, which is where we're at right now. We just passed it out of committee about a week. Um, but uh, the special sessions, I, they were highly unnecessary. Yeah, because it was about PFD. We put out a PFD last year of about $1,100 and the governor was not satisfied with that. He goes, no, I, I want a bigger PFD. So we go down to Juno and create a bigger PFD. And, and it didn't happen. Because and we didn't have this surplus of cash. And a lot of us feel, you know, a PFD is important and we don't want to get rid of it, but we have to keep it sort of affordable both now and into the future. And, and we really need a new formula, a new law that, that calculates a PFD. And we don't have that. So we've been paying sub uh, statutory PFD since uh, 2015. We haven't paid the full formula and we still are not. And, and if we did, it would be about a $4,500 check this year, which is you know that that's a huge amount of money um certainly for a governor running for re-election correct correct and that's what a governor running for re-election wants is to say to the the populace hey i put a lot of money in your pocket um please vote for me and i mean i understand that was i don't want to say that was his only motivation but all these special sessions were generally around the pfd and we resisted and we didn't increase it and we we finally got home so and now, then, I mean, you're in the news uh, debating the state budget and what to call state payments. Uh, I mean, if he gets his way, he would, uh, I mean, this lines up perfectly with the election and getting reelected, especially, I mean, not to say the crisis and chaos are good for the Alaska state budget, but it's it certainly, there are there is more money in the coffers and it does line up election wise. I mean, timing is everything in politics. So what, is he going to cut two checks? So is the second one going to be part of the PFD? I mean, like you said, it could come up to almost five grand a person in Alaska. Yeah. Well, what we've done in, in our committee uh, was we put in a, an amount for a PFD, which is about 1250. And, you know, yeah. there's, there's, yeah, there's this whole, it's 25% of the POMB draw. 
and I, I don't know if you want me to go into details what the POMV draw is. It's a pretty basic thing that, that probably everyone should know because it's up until very recently, it was the number one source of revenue funding state government, which was basically taking the whole value of the permanent fund, call it $70 billion, and taking 5% right off the top. So that would be $3.5 billion. Um, and there's a little more to the calculation than that for averaging and stuff like that. But it's about $3.5 billion. That's what we bring in to fund government. And then oil typically has been about 1.2 to 1.5 billion. So combined, you have around four and a half, five billion dollars. And that's about what we spend on the budget. And inclusive in that is a PFD. Um, and that all has to fit into it. So we've been taking 25% of that 3.5 billion and using that as a rough calculation for the PFD, which ends up being about $1,200. So this year, similar to last year and this year, we, we come up with this number. Again, it's not a formula in law. It's just sort of a, a way to back of the envelope calculate. What, would, what do we think is fair? 25%. The governor wants 50%. So we said, okay, we'll give you 25%, which is about $1,250. And then this year, because there was so much revenue and because oil is expensive and because it costs a lot to heat your house and to drive your car, we said, okay, this time we're going to give another check, an additional $1,250 as an energy relief check. Yeah. So combined... Numerically, yes, it's a 50-50 PFD, but it's a 25% PFD plus a 25% energy check. And we're trying to really make that distinction because this is a one-time thing, similar to what Sarah Palin did in 2000, I want to say eight or somewhere around there, nine, that, that she gave out an additional check for energy relief. And it was, I don't know, $1,200 on top of the PFD. So that's kind of what we're doing now. And some people think we're, we're splitting hairs and just call it a PFD, but we really want to make that distinction. And then, you know, basically everyone's going to get $2,500 this year. So uh, the, the PFD, uh, the investment of it, that's kind of uh, also been in the news and divesting from Russia uh, because of the war in Ukraine. Um, it's really quite interesting that you guys, for lack of a better term, farm out to like an investment brokerage house or whatever you want to call it, uh, the rights and responsibilities and authority to invest this money. And sometimes it gets invested in Russia, Iran, uh, was one of them. Uh, I read in an article where uh, this has come up before where members of the legislature want the uh, people that run the investment make the decisions to divest and they haven't from, you know, like with Persia or whatever. But now this is a, an issue again with the investments in Russia. Um, how do you get them to pull back and divest from Russia? What, what, what would be the actual process in, in government red tape bureaucracy? Like what would you guys do? Yeah, some of that is, out of my area of expertise, but the Permanent Fund Corporation is sort of separate from state government. I mean, it's part of state government, but we don't have direct control. We can't tell them, you know, we, we give them a board with governing, governing powers. And, you know, there's some discussion that we should have more control over their board and mm -hmm. how they're um, elected and so on, because the, the, the uh, CEO of the corporation was recently dismissed without cause, and it caused quite a, quite a dust up. But as far as how they invest, I mean, they have all kinds of people, some in-house and some, you know, Wall Street, and, you know, they use, they invest in all kinds of things and, and, you know, mechanisms and 
financial products that I don't really know. It's not just buying mutual funds and stocks and bonds. They have all they have real estate too, which anyone can get their head around. And they have all sorts of private equity investments where they they don't buy stocks off the stock market. They'll invest in a company and own a share of the company. And then the company does well, it gets sold or something, and they, they make money that way. So there's a lot of ways they invest money and their portfolio is pretty diverse. Um, as far as the Russia question, I, I think that was done through a bank, like an investment bank, and the investment bank invested. Or for example, they might own real estate in Russia or somewhere, and they say, well, divest. And then they have to sell the real estate, which isn't always easy and takes time. And I, and I don't know about Russia. I think there's a few hundred million in, in oil. I, I don't even know. But I think there's been a lot of talk for them to divest out of Russia. And I think the governors introduce a resolution or maybe, maybe, I don't know if there's a bill. I don't know that we can make them by law. I think there's supposed to be a firewall between us and the permanent court. But Hopefully they they have the same sentiments that the public does, which is divest from Russia. Um, but I don't know that they want the legislature micromanaging every investment that they make. And, you know, I, I don't think that would be productive. However, they and they have invested money in Alaska recently, a separate little Alaska fund that's come under scrutiny as well. So that gets a little political as well. So, uh, I mean, it, it could maybe call for a non-binding joint resolution, but at the end of the day, uh, there is that firewall, and uh, it, the whole point of it was, so it wasn't political, and it was more uh, investment-based, and then here we go again, whether it's Iran or Sudan or now Russia, the members of the legislature are calling to, uh, you know, divest, and truly... <laughs> The, the power you guys set up to give them a lot now uh, doesn't give you the power to do that, which is uh, ironic, ironical in a way, um, but uh, politics 101, I guess. Uh, looking at your legislation that you've introduced, just to you know get to get a little nerdy and go deep, do a deep dive on this. Um, House Bill 102, the rental vehicle by private owner. <laughs> what What is that? Is that like... Um, like I could just rent my car to my neighbor. I mean, what's going on there? Um, I think that that bill changed a number from to this session. That that's um, being called the Turo bill, and um, that already exists in, in the state. You can rent a Turo car, or put your car on Turo, and rent it out to people. That that's a lot of people are doing it, which is great. There's been a rental car shortage. The bill basically says that. Um, Currently in state law, if you go to Avis or Hertz or, you know, Joe's rental, any sort of brick and mortar rental shop, you, you get charged. And on the bill, there's a line that says vehicle rental tax, state, the state vehicle rental tax, it's 10%. So everyone's paying it. You know, the person that rents a car pays it, the company collects it, sends it into the state. That's what they do, like on a lot of taxes, like on, you know, sales tax or, or cigarette tax or whatever. So, um, what this bill does, it says Turo, the, the company out of San Francisco that makes a lot of money on car rentals in Alaska and, and around the world, needs to also put this item on their um, car rental invoice. The customer would pay it. Turo collects it and sends it to the state, the same rate that all the other rental car companies are having to collect and remit. So it, does, it doesn't come out of Turo's pocket. It's the person that rents the car. So and it would add a lot to state revenue. And 
you know, at the time we were short on revenue and any, it's basically people that are putting their car in Turo and not collecting the tax and submitting it are breaking the law. And there's thousands of them and we don't know who they are and we don't really want to go after them. We want to go after the companies that are profiting from them and uh, have them do that sort of paperwork so that the people will be following the law and paying their taxes, but the company is doing it for them. So, and that bill just passed the, the House floor and it's now in the Senate. So we'll see if that one gets through. And then you had another bill, um, House Bill 180. I don't know if that's the name of it in this session, but it's the one where you add a faculty member to the University Board of Regents. Yes. And with both of us being Nanooks, this is interesting, <laughs> especially with this interview being uh, played on the college radio station. So what would that what would that do? Adding a faculty member, a faculty member to the Board of Regents that would just give a voice, uh, another added voice for the, the school um, down in Juneau. Uh, well, the Board of Regents actually meets in Fairbanks and, and elsewhere. It's the governing board of the entire university statewide. You know, Anchorage, Juneau, Fairbanks, and all the surrounding colleges. It's not really a Juneau thing. It's how the the university governs itself. Sure, um, they, sure. have a, they have a president and the, pre, uh, the board, you know, hires and appoints the president. Pat, Pat Pitney. Pat Pitney, correct. And the board is uh, uh, 11 people, I think, right now, all appointed by the governor. Um, from all, you know, depending on who the governor is, they, they can appoint anyone. Uh, Ralph Seekins was recently appointed uh, from Fairbanks, who owns uh, Seekins Ford. Um, so it's, a, it's usually business people or corporate people that have experience with this kind of stuff. But there is a student regent. Um, and every two years, that student regent gets changed. And it can be someone from Fairbanks or Anchorage or Juneau. And you know they are given a vote because they represent the students. And much of university life revolves around students, and as it should. So they get their voice heard at this table, the sort of, of corporate leaders, basically, saying, you know, I'm going to vote on this, but here's my input. And here's why I'm going to vote on this. But I think it's also appropriate to have a faculty member as well, an employee of the university also being represented because faculty are definitely part of the university experience for students. And you know, faculty, unlike students, tend to stick around for a while. They're not there for four years or five years. They, they tend to stay for 10 or 20. They live in the community. They're part of the community, but they're definitely part of the university. And I think their voice should be heard. And in recent years, there was a lot of complaints from faculty saying, hey, we're not part of the process, especially there was a lot of talk about um, unification of the three campuses and making it a, a single university instead of three, which, is, which it is technically right now. And so there was talk of that and, and the faculty didn't feel like they were, their voice was being heard. Now they sit in the room and they're called on to testify during Board of Regent meetings, but they can't vote. And if the board goes into executive session where they kick everyone out and discuss stuff, the faculty couldn't stay in on that either. So I just felt for parity and fairness, since there's a student on there, the, you know, the other side of that coin would be a faculty member that they could, and it'd be also a two-year term. And, uh, you know, they could be from UAA, UAF, or UAS. And, um, you know, there's a whole process for, for picking them, but um, faculty support it. I, I think students support it. Um, I think it's a good bill and it's, it's, it's all in fairness. And I think it just, and if the management of the university, you know, the administration has problem with faculty members, I think the best thing to do is, is bring them into the fold and make them part of the solution process instead of, you know, keeping them at the, what I call the little kid table in the room and, you know, only hearing from them when they're called on. 
Certainly. And then uh, I only have you for a few more minutes. I do want to talk about the biggest political story uh, in Alaska. Certainly it will be in America soon. Um, the passing of Don Young, the dean of the House of Representatives, which means that he was there longer than anyone else of the 435. He was either the first or the 435th, however you want to look at it. But he was the dean of the House. He got elected in 73. Um, after Nick Begich, Nick Begich was the last one to beat Don Young, and ironically, his grand nephew is running against Don Young, uh, running against whoever's running now, but was running yeah. against Don Young. Correct. Farther right, he was taking a farther right position, saying that uh, Don Young was not conservative enough, and uh, Begich the third was even to the farther was farther right than Don Young, but. Um, are you one of the candidates for this uh, congressional seat, Mr. Wool? Well, you know, Mr. Thomas, uh, I I have thought about it, believe it or not. And, and years ago, I, I thought about it and said, someone's going to beat Don Young. Um, and at least Galvin gave it a couple tries and didn't. And rarely do you see a Democrat in these races. And, and I'm a Democrat and I'm proud of it. I don't I don't subscribe to every every sentence uh, in the Democrats platform. And I'm not I'm not what you'd call a party guy, um, not the political party guy, I mean, but I'm not I'm not adherent to their everything they say and do. But I'm a Democrat and I'm proud of it. So I'm, I'm a little saddened when all these people that run are independents, you know, because they, they're somehow afraid. They think that'll get them elected. Um, is Al Gross a Republican, uh, but really running as an independent or is he a Democrat really running as an independent? Yeah, I. I I think the latter, but you know, I, I don't know what he would say, but yeah, he's an independent. At least Galvin was an independent. I think their values and, and the, the issues, the positions they take are, are more aligned with Democrat positions. But yeah, I don't know. T tomorrow's the deadline. I don't know when this is going to air. So um, maybe by the time it airs, you'll know. There's a lot of people in the race. I mean, part of me just wants to do it as a lark. But if I look at the, the you know, the portfolio of people that are in there, like Senator Coghill from Fairbanks, Who's a, who's a great, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. I worked with him for years and, and he's a straight shooter and we don't agree on everything. We surprisingly agree on a lot of stuff. But Nick Begich, um, to the right of Don Young, I, I, you know, in a ranked choice voting environment, I'm not sure being way too extreme on anything is, um, uh, is going to help a candidate. I think you have to be in the middle because you're going to have number one votes. You're going to have number two votes. I mean, if I ran, there's probably some people that, would support me as number one. There's probably some people that wouldn't, but might put me as number two because I'm I'm a moderate Democrat. I'm not, uh, you know, way out on the fringe on on many issues. Although I feel strongly about certain things. And one of the bills that you didn't mention, I have a gun safe storage bill right now, and that one is uh, HB 203, and that had a hearing the other day, and it's a gun bill, and everyone goes, oh my god, you can't do a gun bill, but it's basically a safe storage, keep your gun locked up so your kid doesn't get it and play with it and hurt himself or or a neighbor kid and you know, these kind of things. And so I'm not afraid to take those positions. But, you know, I, I think uh, I think there's a there might be a lane for a moderate Democrat in this race. Um, Chris Constant is the other Democrat so far declared he's running. He's from Anchorage. He's running in the big race. He's declared a while ago. So he's been going at it for a while. I don't really know him that well. I don't know all his politics, but I know he's on the Anchorage Assembly. He's probably to the left of me on a lot of things. Um, but anyhow, I, I, it might be fun just to throw my name in and, and see how I, if I hit the top four, then then I got a, a lot of work to do, which would be fun as well. 
Well, I did work for a congressman coming right out of high school and uh, used to live in D.C. and worked on Capitol Hill. So I can tell you, sir, it's good work if you can get it. <laughs> OK, being a congressman has got some perks. It comes with a parking spot. Uh, but uh, before before I let you go, um, this top ranked voting, this is the first time Alaska is debuting this. And, then, you know, just from a political science perspective, this is absolutely fascinating. So. Let's say you're in the race. Let's just say it's you, Sarah Palin, and Al Gross, okay, the three of you. If somebody votes for you second, like, how does that work? I mean, it's almost like a percentage popularity contest. I mean, they're going to be writing about this for years. Yeah. Well, it happens in a lot of places. This isn't the first time, that's for sure. And so basically, you have an open primary, like 20 people run. And it's just a popular vote. The top four vote getters go to the finals, go to the general election. So it'll be four people. Uh, so let's say I'm one of the four and Sarah Palin, Al Gross and Nick Begich or something like that. So then the, everyone votes. And if no one hits 50 or 51 percent, which generally doesn't happen with four people, then the last place person gets taken away. And everyone that voted for that last place person uh, as number one, so let's say I vote, let, let's say I'm last and, and people voted for me, me number one, but they put, say, all of them put Al Gross as number two. Then Al Gross would get all my number two votes, which would build him up. So then he might exceed 50 percent. He'd win. So it, it has a lot to do with, you know, the idea is if I don't get all the number one votes to get 50, I want someone else, the, the other candidate, I want them to put me as number two. So would your, would your campaign be um, number uh, two? Uh, Adam Wool, your second best choice for Congress. Exactly. I am. I'm number two. <laughs> That's not a good uh, slogan. Oh Lord, well, that uh, they're going to be writing about that at the political science department over at UAF until yeah, good. Uh, I, I see Abe and Humpy straightens up. I mean, that is that is some good stuff. Um, well, Adam Wool, uh, I appreciate you uh, for taking the time to come on the show uh, as a fellow Nanook. It is great to chat with you about politics and government. Um, I will uh, be looking to see your name uh, in the foray that's about to uh, happen. You would certainly be at the forefront of American politics. Uh, yeah. It, it will be the circus is coming to town kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I like that phone too. And I think I might be the one moderating the debate up in Fairbanks in a month. So oh, great. Great. We'll, uh, I'll see you over at the Woods Center. But okay. uh, uh, Representative Wool, thank you for being on KSUA 91.5 FM, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, our UAF uh, radio show and program. And uh, I appreciate the time and thank you for your service to our community. And uh, I will be in touch with your staff and let you know when this airs. Thank you. And last thing, I used to have a show on KSUA when I was a student there. So uh, um, it has a place near and dear in my heart. It, it is a, a, a fun thing to do. And it's a great to uh, have the leeway to uh, get to do shows like this. So yes. thank you for coming on the show, Representative. And uh, I will be in touch. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Have a good day. You have been listening to Join the Conversation, our radio show and podcast on 91.5 FM KSUA, our college radio station here at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I am your host, George Christopher Thomas, and I thank you for tuning in.